Welcome to What's Your Tilt, a podcast that explores the Tilt 365 personality and strengths assessment. This assessment helps people understand not only what they do, but also the underlying drivers of why they do it. On this show, we interview leaders about the what and why of the incredible work they're doing in their field. But here's the deal. Our guest has also taken the True Tilt personality profile. And as you're hearing the conversation, we want you to guess their tilt. If you already know the tilt patterns and personas, feel free to skip ahead 60 seconds. If you don't, let's quickly go over them. The connection tilt is the cross-pollinator. They care about people and ideas, acceptance and freedom. They're friendly, chatty, and can be easily distracted. They need to know the who in any given situation. The impact tilt is the change catalyst. They care about ideas and results, freedom and power. They're big picture thinkers, direct and ready to get straight down to business. They need to know the why in any given situation. The structure tilt is the mastermind. They care about results and data, power and status. They're factual when they speak, logical, and get frustrated when they're interrupted or there is a change in plans. They need to know the how in any given situation. The clarity tilt is the quiet genius. They care about data and people, status and acceptance. They're polite and inclusive, fair and cautious. They consider all possible outcomes. They need to know the what in any given situation. The beauty of tilt is that it helps us understand and appreciate that we are whole beings. Personality is where we start, but character is who we choose to become. We can be, and often are, all of these tilt patterns at one time or another, either by choice or necessity. Now here's your host, Glodine Champion, Chief Business Development Officer at Tilt 365. Our guest today is my friend, Steve Farber, international business and leadership speaker and founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute. I met Steve at his annual event, the Extreme Leadership Experience back in 2019, and we became fast friends. I had the pleasure of speaking at the experience the following year and jamming with him on stage at a mutual friend's CD release party just this year. Steve is just one of those people you can't help loving the minute you meet him. He's written four leadership and management books and has a podcast called The Love is Just Damn Good Business Podcast, which is named after his most recent book. Now that you've learned a little bit about Steve, let's see if you can figure out his true tilt. Are you ready? Let's bring some clarity to this as we welcome Steve to the show. Thank you for joining me, Steve. Hey there, Glodine. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is awesome. I'm so very happy that you are here. And so I wanted to jump in and really just talk about you and your amazingness. And one of the things that brought us together is our love of music. But you were legitimately good at, like, my basses are hanging on the wall back here, but I hadn't played them in a long time. Mm. You, on the other hand, had a career track in music, and then something happened in the yes. 80s. <laughs> yes, that was a long, long time ago. Uh, yeah, that's right. So I started out, I mean, 
uh, I'll start on the present day and work my way backwards real quick, just to, to give people the right kind of frame for this. Okay. But you know, I'm I'm in the leadership development arena. I'm a I'm a business guy, business leadership, and I've been doing that now for 30 years. So if you would have asked me when I was in my teens and early 20s what I'd be doing in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and now 60s, I wouldn't have said this <laughs> because I was going to be a musician, right? So I right. started playing guitar when I was. 13 years old, I think. And in 1981, I graduated college and I got married and I got married into my daughter, Angelica. She was four years old when I married her mom. So here I was 23 years old and I had a kid and a family and I wanted to be a musician. So you see where this story's going. <laughs> so I, I had to make a choice between playing music and, and feeding people. So I gave up the music and I sold my guitar. I had a guitar called a Gurian and it was a beautiful little guitar. It was a, the, the luthier, Michael Gurian was getting really popular in the, in the late sixties, early seventies. And I happened to, to get one of these guitars. It was the first really good guitar I ever had. And I had to sell it because we needed the money. Uh, and I sold it with deep regret to a woman mm -hmm. named Leslie. And I, I still remember watching her walk down the hallway from my apartment carrying my guitar. And it felt like I was watching the death of a dream. And, and in some ways I was. And I mean, that sounds terribly dramatic right now, but, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it, was the, it was. That was the end of that dream. And I, and I pursued a different one, which turned out great. Don't get me wrong. But I always regretted selling that guitar. And then one day, it's about 10 years ago now, out of nowhere, I got an email from a woman named Leslie. And she said she saw my name on a, on a podcast or a webinar or something. So she went and checked out my website. And she felt compelled to write me an email just to say, hey, you're doing some cool things out there in the world. And I don't know if you remember, but you sold me your guitar all those years ago. And I live in Texas now and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> because after I, after I read those words, you sold me your guitar, all I saw was blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I, uh, I, my heart was pounding. I just couldn't believe it. So I, I wrote her back right away. And I said, if there's any way at all that you'd be interested in selling that guitar back to me, I'd love to have it back. And I hit send and I stared at the screen. I didn't move. I didn't breathe. And, and she wrote me back immediately. And she wow. said, this is pretty close to a quote. She said, I still remember the look on your face when I walked out of your apartment carrying that guitar. And I've never been able to play it without thinking about your pain. So I don't play it. It sits in my closet. You sold me that guitar, she said, for $380 back in 1982. So I'll sell it back to you for $380. Wow. And I got it back. And it was an amazing thing. But what's amazing to me about it, more than just the facts of the story, right. is that it became kind of like a, an obvious sign or a living metaphor for rediscovered passion. It's not mm -hmm. that I didn't play music anymore. Right. I just started playing it again with a different intentionality and a different focus once I got that guitar back and started integrating it into my some of my keynotes and my workshops and that kind of a thing. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it is kind of a magic guitar in that sense. Yeah. I love that story because 
you had the courage to not necessarily give up the dream, but make a different choice. You know, that sliding doors metaphor. Did you see that movie sliding doors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what's the metaphor? Explain it for people who haven't seen it. That we all have a, a journey, but that journey can shift. A door closes and another one opens. You've heard that window when God closes the door, he opens a window. So your door closed on the music, at least professionally. Right. But you got a different path that led you back. Yes. Several doors closed in between. Children came, professions, you created a business and became a leader. And then a new, another door opened and you got your guitar back. I and it's kind of, it's kind of amazing, too. You, you, you just reminded me of, of uh, one of my early, early experiences in bringing music into my work. I got uh, the guitar back and I started playing music a lot more often. And I was at an event and I was just playing some music. It was a, a group that I belonged to called the Transformational Leadership Council, which is a bunch of people that do the kind of work I do. They, you know, they write books and give speeches and workshops <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so it's my tribe, as it were. And uh, I was just playing some music. And one of the other members of TLC, as we call it, was hosting an event that he had already booked me to come and speak at. It was an event that was going to be in Australia. And he didn't know that I played music. And when he heard me play, he said, you are bringing that guitar with you to Australia for our event, and you're going to use it on stage. What? And I said, okay, twist my freaking arm, man. <laughs> so there were like 2,000 people at this event. And I did a series of speeches over the course of three days, a little workshoppy things for them. They were a great, wonderful group of Aussies. And I stood up on stage. I told that story that I just shared with you of the reuniting with my guitar. And then I brought it out on stage. And then I played them a song. So there I was with that guitar that I had given up all those years ago, playing music on the stage to 2,000 people. Wow. And everybody just kind of got it in the moment they they mm -hmm. like the audience they were so generous and so present they got it what they got was they were in that moment helping to fulfill a fantasy of mine from all those years ago and they went completely apeshit i love it and they actually rushed they rushed the stage <laughs> that's awesome and it was it was just it was such a, a beautiful thing because I always wanted to play in front of thousands of people on the stage when mm -hmm. I was a kid, but I never <laughs> imagined that it would happen in this way and in that context. Right. So you never know. So, you know, for me, I think the lesson in that for, for all of us is, is there are things that we give up on that we're really passionate about and we give up on them for all the wrong reasons. We think maybe we're not good enough. To, to make a living at it so we shouldn't do it or or we're too busy or whatever and we just stop whatever it is maybe it's music maybe it's gardening i don't know maybe it's <laughs> writing maybe it's soccer i mean who the hell knows right. but if there's something that gave you passion you don't have to monetize it in order for you to justify doing it the the fact that you're doing it and it gives you joy is good enough 
And then I tend to look at everything through a leadership lens. So I really believe that if, you, if you're in a leadership role, you actually owe it to the people that you're leading to bring that, whatever that is, back for yourself. Because that's where you get your energy from. And that's where you get a big part of your love from. And it's very difficult to inspire people in those things if you don't have it yourself first. In fact, it's impossible to do. Yeah, that's perfect segue because my next question was, when did you know you were a leader? Well, that's a that's a really powerful question because it implies that that I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that you are um, a powerful leader. Well, thank you for saying so. I think I knew from when I was a teenager, I think I knew that I had the ability to influence people just because of the way that I, I tended to, to show up with folks in my social circles and just the feeling that I got from how people responded to me. So I think it was, I think there was some raw material for that pretty early on. I've always been kind of a natural communicator. I've always been a lover of people. The caveat is when I was a kid, I was super sarcastic and cynical. I was really, really good at it. Really good at it. Uh, but it always came from, from a place of, of playfulness, right? Not mean-spiritedness. So I think I, I, I got some sense of that early on, but it wasn't really until I got into business that that I experienced it. So I had my own, when I left the music, I got into uh, the commodities futures business. Not that that was a linear sort of process right. <laughs> and an obvious next step, but because I had a, I needed money and I had a friend who was in that industry and he gave me a job and taught me the ropes. And that's when I discovered I was an entrepreneur because shortly thereafter, I ended up with my own small brokerage firm. That I was a leader and an entrepreneur, but I had done a couple of management positions before that and, and saw that I, I did have a good influence on people. So I think it was in my late, it was, this was all in my late twenties. I, I started everything pretty young, you know, including family. I had three kids by the time I was 30. <clears throat> so I think it was in my late twenties, early thirties where I first had that experience of it, but I didn't really have a conscious understanding. It was unconscious competence, right? I didn't have a conscious understanding about what I was doing and how I was doing it. It just kind of, it just kind of felt good. So when I made the transition into doing, you know, leadership development and workshops and that kind of a thing, I think that's when I started to realize like, oh, I really do have experience in this. And then I began to learn almost in retrospect what I had done before. And then over the years, you know, just it, it, as my own body of work expanded and my own kind of community expanded, I've been able to be more intentional about all of this. Okay. So I feel like in the space of leadership, and you talk about this a lot, that leadership isn't about title, right? So what would you say to new leaders who have leaders, untitled leaders on their team? How do they navigate that space and support that authentic or that natural leader in a way that doesn't shut them down? First of all, I think one of our responsibilities as leaders in positions of leadership. So just to be clear, I, I do believe that leadership fundamentally has nothing to do with your position or title. And what I mean by that is you could have a great title and be a crappy leader. 
Right. And you can have no title and be a great leader. Right. Uh, so it's not simply about where you perch on the org chart, for example. So if you're in positional leadership, I believe that one of your biggest obligations is to cultivate leadership in other people who are not in positions of leadership. That's the greatest gift that you can give, one of the greatest gifts. And it also just enhances your own influence and ability as a leader yourself. You get it, you get that in return. If you have a if you have a track record for being the kind of person that develops leaders, your own visibility and career and success is going to be enhanced in ways that you can't even imagine. So I think first of all, it's about being on the lookout for people on your team that have that spark that you can really nurture and then help them to understand that they do have a leadership opportunity right where they are. In other words, sometimes it's as simple as saying, hey, have you ever really thought of yourself as a leader? Because I believe you are. And here's why. Mm -hmm. This is the influence that I see you have. This is the uh, the impact that you have on the work that you do and on our clients and on your colleagues. And, and I, yeah, I want to encourage you to develop that more. And here's how I'm going to do that with you if, you, if you're willing. Those kind of conversations. But that first little bit of a shift in perspective where somebody says, oh, I just assumed I wasn't a leader because it doesn't say it on my business card. Right. Which is the way a lot of people think about themselves. Yeah. So just that shift in perspective where somebody says, oh, maybe I, I am a leader. And I'm certainly a leader when I go home. Right. I'm a leader in my, in my community. I'm a leader with right. my kids. I'm a leader with my in in the volunteer work that I do. I mean, there's lots of context for that. Now, all of a sudden, that all evaporates when I come to work just because I don't have the position. No, it doesn't. Right. So I think that's a big part of it, Glodine, is just it's being on the lookout for it and then helping people to see that in themselves. I've had that experience quite a bit with with people who, like if I'm, in, let's say I'm speaking to an organization and in the audience, there's there are a number of people who are you know on the front line. So I don't only communicate to C-suite people and all that. You know, when I have the opportunity to speak to the 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 whole, you know, the, the whole the community, masses, if you oh, will, man, yeah. I just love that. I just yeah. Love and for a lot of them, I I see it. I can see it. I can see it happen when it's like you you have a leadership opportunity right now, regardless of your position or title. You, know, you can see it in the faces like, yeah. really? From that point, it doesn't take much right. for them to really see the truth in that. Because we all have leadership opportunities in some context or another. That doesn't mean that we all have natural ability to be great leaders. Some of us have to work harder at it than others. But we all have the opportunity. You wrote a book called Greater Than Yourself. What inspired That's true. that book? <laughs> That's exactly what we've just been talking about here the last few minutes. So Greater Than Yourself is the simple premise that the greatest leaders are the ones who make others greater than themselves. So the challenge in, in that book and in that approach is as a leader, can you think of yourself as almost like a mentor, mentor on steroids? Right. Mm -hmm. That that your opportunity is to lift somebody up, to help them develop to the degree where they go on to be greater than yourself, greater than you are, more have more success, 
be better at XYZ than you are. This is something that we naturally do in some contexts. So, you know, healthy parents, I'll qualify it by saying healthy parents, because it's certainly not true for all parents, but healthy parents already get this, right? I mean, speaking from my experience as a parent, I want to see my kids who are now adults, I want to see them have lives that are more, more successful, more joyful, uh, more fulfilling than my own. And that's saying a lot. And that's, that's how I can measure my success as a parent. And I think all healthy parents understand that. Teachers get that. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to be a great teacher to understand right. that. Right. A, a moderately good teacher knows <laughs> that when they, they, they're teaching math to an eighth grade student, and then they see that kid grow up to win the Nobel Prize one day, they're not, that teacher is saying, look what I helped right. happen in that child. I, I knew it. I knew with pride. You know, I knew little Janie was going to, you know, <laughs> I, I knew it. Right. They're not sitting there going, I can't believe that kid won the Nobel Prize and I'm right. stuck here teaching eighth graders. I'm a failure. Right. I suck. Right. That's not their job. Right. So, so they, they understand that that's how they measure their success. So my argument is, well, that's true for all of us, or it should be true for all of us, even in a business context, especially in a business context. If, if I can, again, as I said earlier, get a track record for being the kind of person who has the influence that, that helps develop all these superstars, I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish because, because of the goodwill that I create and the reputation that I have. If I have to, in order to do this, figure out what the payoff is in all this for me. Well, that's right. what it is. But of course, the nuance in this is you don't do it for that reason. You do it because. You do it because. And because because you love that person, because you believe in them. And, you know, you get an automatic immediate payback because it feels great. So if you just think about the most influential people, leaders that you've known or worked for or been around, I, I bet you're going to find that they did that for you. Yeah. I can think even of though, one. Even, even though you weren't aware of it at the time. Yeah. That's the best part. Like when, when people can look back on leaders that they had and that leader wasn't standing out in front saying, I did this for you, but that you just got there and went, wow, if it wasn't for that person, I wouldn't right. be doing this right now. Right. It's not the godfather. That's the benefit. It's not, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I will do this for you, but then one day... <laughs> I will have a favor that I will need returned. <laughs> Terrible godfather, but you right. get the idea. Yeah, I do. And <laughs> not uh, there's no quid pro quo. No, not at all. It shouldn't be. Um, and you mentioned love, and you are a proponent of love in business, as right. am I. Although I love the fact that you are not in the convincing business, and I, I, I get it now. Like it's too hard to convince people. But let's talk a minute about your do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. And yeah. first, I want to ask you, out of all the things you do, you're, a, you're an international speaker, you're a best-selling author, an awesome consulting, um, what's the word I, wanna, I wanted to, to use some magnanimous word, but you guy, know, <laughs> uh, you're a consummate professional in the consulting space, where you bring love into all of those spaces. But if you had to think about like, which, which of this do I love the most, what would it be? That is a really hard question. 
I don't know that it's a that it's an actual thing that I do that I love the most because I, I love them all because uh, there there's there's a a wide spectrum of what I do. So if I'm on stage and there's several thousand people in the audience, I love that. It's great fun. On the other hand, if I'm working one on one with a client in a more of a coaching context, for lack of a better word, I love that too. And mm. one is one-on-one -on -one and one is one-to-many. So, so really, if I have to identify the aspect of my work that I really love, well, this is a great example of that, Claudine. You and I met through my work. Yeah. You came to one of our events after meeting my business partner in the bathroom <laughs> at San Jose, at San Jose <laughs> Airport. You better qualify that. <laughs> <laughs> lots because of great, lots of great things happen in public bathrooms. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you and Jenna. What, what was it you were wearing? What, I was what wearing was, a "Love Is the New Black" T-shirt. "Love Is the New Black" T-shirt, and and Jenna. Let's just say that Jenna and you, neither of you, are introverts. Exactly. So, like Jenna saw you wearing that shirt and said, "Well, that's good." She, you started talking, and she told you what we do, and you did. Right. And she told you about this event that we had coming up in in San Diego, and you came to the event. That's where we met. So, this is what I love about my work is is that the the people that I've met through my work who have become dear friends, people that I love to hang out with in any context. That's really what I love about this. You know, as you've seen, at, you've been to a few of these events, the people that come to speak at these events and the people who come to attend these events, but let's talk about the people that come to speak at them. These are my friends. Yeah. And I have some really cool friends. You really do. <laughs> I mean, and the reason I have these cool friends is because is, is, is so much of that I can trace to the work that I do. And that's how I connected with them at some point. That is really what, what drives me. When I, when I step back and I say, I just kind of look around, you know, either literally or figuratively. And I think, <laughs> wow, I've got amazing friends who I really love. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Facebook friends. Yeah. I mean, right. real friends. <laughs> Exactly. That is what makes this work worthwhile. And, and of course, you know, it's very congruent with the lessons and the message that I teach, uh, as it should be, because I didn't make this stuff up. I mean, this is based on, on experience and being out there in the, in the business world for long enough to know what, what works and what doesn't. And you know what? Bottom line is, it's about love. All about, about love. It's all about love. It's about creating the kind of the kind of experience and relationships that people love being a part of people, including and starting with in the business context, your clients and customers, if they don't love what you do for them. Then you've got to change things. And if your folks, if you run a company or you're part of a company, if you don't love being a part of it and people don't love working with you for you and around you, then they're just going through the motions. And it leads us to things like we've been calling lately, like the great resignation. Yeah. Right. It's like, why should I, why am I here? Exactly. This, this place doesn't do anything for me, so I'm out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. The the tilt model. We're we'll gonna jump into the your tilt because you took your tilt profile, and one yeah. of the reasons that I was so excited to partner with them is because tilt is about using personality character based 
assessments to help create cultures that people love to work in, right? right. And the beauty of their of the assessment is that you get your individual assessment, but then you can use the, a team's individual assessment to help understand how that team needs to tilt in certain situations so that they can be more productive and more agile. So that said, which I will say, knowing my tilt and understanding how I have impacted people over the years, um, now I'm like, oh, now the, now I understand why I drove that person crazy. <laughs> it would have helped if we had a tool that could say, oh, yeah. you know, you need tilt. So you took your true tilt uh, personality. Listeners, what do you think Steve is? Because I have a pretty good idea. But Steve, will you reveal your true tilt? Well, so it is the first time that I that I took that survey, and it's it's really boy. I'll tell you the 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 feedback on it that it creates is really involved. There's a there's a lot of information in there, so I'm still processing it. It's great stuff, but at the top level, it's about uh, connection, right? Yes. Uh, Connect, you are connect the cross pollinator. Yes, cross pollinator was yeah. the, the 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 label that, that that's the persona, given. and then the the actual tilt pattern is connection. Connection. So you're a connection right. tilt. Yeah, I wasn't surprised when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and, and what what are, what are you? I am an impact. So I'm right next to you on the top of the um, quadrant there. Hmm. So I drive. Clarity tilts and structure tilts crazy because you want to know the who, I need to know the why, but clarity needs to know the how and structure needs to know what. And sometimes when you're creating ideas, you just want to know who am I giving this to and what am I, what am I trying to create and let, then let me go. But right. so, right. yeah. So yeah. what so do you can think I, and yeah, give me your thoughts. So connection and cross pollinator, that. Again, what I just described about what our events are like. Exactly. It's like bringing a bunch of uh, bees together in a <laughs> in a field of a field of uh, dandelions. Yeah. Cross pollinating. <laughs> uh, that's that's what's happening there. It's like, hey, you're really cool. You're really cool. You you here. You guys talk to each other, and and it's really. I tell you, I have so there's so many examples of people who have met through one of our events, one of our workshops, some experience that we've that we've put on <laughs> with virtual or in person, mm -hmm. we've become great friends. That's like the greatest thing ever. So yeah, I wasn't I was definitely not surprised to see that. I, I was I was surprised a little bit surprised as to how accurate it was. But, uh, <laughs> you but, were? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Tell me why. Well, I mean, I think I always am whatever, you know, because I've done a few different kinds of surveys and assessments and all that. And it, it does feel like a little bit of magic, you know, sometimes it's yeah. like you answer a bunch of these questions and then it's like, well, here's who you are. It's like, that's a little creepy how accurate <laughs> that is. Um, but what I liked about, about the tilt assessment is a lot of it is um, kind of a forced choice stuff. So mm -hmm. choose between this and that ranking rank order. Right. That was, I found that pretty easy to do. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I was faking it or trying to find, you know, the right answer. You know, in some, exactly. some surveys, it's like, what am I supposed to say here? Exactly. There really wasn't any of that in there. So, yeah. yeah, it was really very, very uh, helpful. Yeah, that's one of the things that I also love about it is because I, I, I have seen people figure out what do I need to say so that I get the response that I want. Now, the thing with Tilt, though, 
is that, you know, you may take the assessment six months from now and you may have tilted toward impact mm-hmm. or tilted toward clarity. Depending on um, what, what kind of things you're involved in doing. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, so it's, I, not a, it's not reading your, your genetically encoded. No, <laughs> no. So yeah, when I took it the first time I was impact. And then when I was developing this whole love concept around my work, I moved into connection. But when I took it again, I was back as an impact. So I think it doesn't put you in a box. So you can't say this is who I am and stick with that. And right. where's the growth in that? Right. Yeah. Did you resonate with any of the areas, like perhaps when you're stressed or when you're trying to get a project done, when you're at your best? Yeah, I th- like again, I think I think a lot of it was very much when I read it, it was like, yes, <laughs> that's that's true, but I I don't have it on my backbone, as we say, mm-hmm. enough where I can I, I haven't processed it all. Ah, so, yeah, you know, I would I would have to have the report in front of me and be reading it line by line and saying, <laughs> yeah, again. but but so at this point in the game, it's the more the high level understanding the opportunity that it provides. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, the there there's something about when we're on a team together in a business context, which is, you know, where I kind of tend to look at everything. Uh, or many things, anyhow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know that we're supposed to have a high-performing, great team. The part that we tend to overlook in that is the the requirement to really make that happen. Certainly, there's the business aspect, knowing who does what and who's capable and who has strengths in what areas and all that good stuff, and who's responsible for what by when. We get mm-hmm. all that. But the part that we tend to overlook is how important it is for us to know each other as human beings. Exactly. So for one thing, you know, to know each other's stories and to know each other's lives and, and not that we have to share everything about our lives with everybody right. that we work with, but, but knowing who they are, what their aspirations are, what their dreams are, what their challenges are and, and who their kids are, if they have any, and you know, what, what are their stories? What do they value? Right. Why do they value those things? Right. And this profile is one way of getting to know people beyond the assumptions that we make right. based on the roles that they play. Exactly. So I, th- I think there's, you know, it's a, it's a very powerful mechanism for simply just getting to know people right. and then having enough of an understanding to say, well, what do I need to do to adjust my approach mm-hmm. with certain people under certain circumstances? So I can make that connection better. Again, because I'm a connector. So you're a connector, the cross pollinator. You figured that all out real fast. That's exactly how it works. Yeah, the workshops are even designed to help the team members understand each other for that exact reason. And if the leader's in the room, they could create a safe safe word. Like when I see you're stressed out, I can say this word that helps you know that I'm about to coach you back toward the center. I mean, it's good to know though, right? Because we yeah. create so much. Can I have your, your little code do. code with each other? Exactly. As opposed yeah. to just going like, help! <laughs> help me! Right, right. Or people, you know, going around the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler, complaining about something rather than just right. dealing with it head on. So yeah. anyway. So Steve, how can our listeners connect with you, reach you? Well, I don't really like connecting with people. Uh, so I'd prefer, I'd prefer that everybody leave me alone. Uh, no, uh, the, um, 
So the obvious place is stevefarber.com. And, you know, I, on the website, you have an opportunity to sign up for the daily audio message, which uh, of all the things that I've, all the content that I've given away and shared with people over the years, I get more positive feedback on this than anything I've ever done. It's a daily audio message, like the name suggests. It comes to your inbox, a couple minutes, Monday through Friday. If uh, you sign up for it, it's an opt-in. If you don't like it, just unsubscribe, but I think you'll like it. Uh, and then on social media, you know, LinkedIn, if you can remember my name, Steve Farber, then it's on LinkedIn, it's Steve Farber, Twitter, Steve Farber, Instagram, Steve Farber, TikTok, <laughs> Steve Farber one. Are you on, are you on TikTok yeah, now? Playing around with it a little bit. Okay. All more right. of a consumer, more of a consumer than a creator at this point. Okay. But anyway, I'm really easy to find and I would love for people to reach out. And uh, that's how I make friends nowadays, as you know. Yes. So, so awesome. come and be my friend. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. It has been, as always, an absolute pleasure. The pleasure uh, was all mine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for listening to What's Your Tilt. To learn more about Tilt, visit tilt365.com. If you like this show, show us some love. You can write us a review, give us a rating, tell your friends, share it with your networks. All of that helps others find us and find their Tilt. This podcast was edited and produced by Earfluence. We'll talk with you again soon on What's Your Tilt.